each one of you here tonight. Turn, if you would, to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I had the joy to teach this uh, last night to our college uh, group. Uh, and uh, it's a different sermon. Uh, they, they get a little different sermon than what you get. Uh, but it's uh, still the same scripture. It's a tremendous uh, chapter. Uh, it's divided up into two sections. The first ten verses. Uh, he calls us to remember what God has done. And to remember all of the things that, that God has done. Let me get this thing on here good. Uh, he calls us to remember all the things that God has done. And then the last uh, verses from 11 through 19 he gives us a warning, and he gives the nation Israel a warning. This is what's going to happen if you don't do what God has called you to do. This book, of course, is known as the book of remembrances, and Moses is rehearsing all of the things here that God has done for him, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 8, Deuteronomy. And we'll just, we'll just kind of spot read some, and then we'll cover the whole chapter. All the commandments which I command thee this day, shall ye observe to do that ye may live, multiply, and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness, to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Consider in thy heart as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains, and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and of barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive, and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, then shalt thou bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. And then the warning starts in verse 11. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I have commanded thee. Uh, Father, thank you for letting us come tonight and, and, and just worshiping you. And thank you for uh, the joy that you give us. Thank you for all you've done uh, uh, and for everything that, God, we, we wouldn't even be able to be here to pray. We don't have anything to praise anybody about except you. And so all the good things you've done, we praise you and thank you. ask you to speak to our heart in these moments tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as we begin here, he goes on to describe uh, in verse 11 and following what happens if you forget the Lord. Uh, some time ago, 
it was uh, late on Saturday night, and you know, I've I have uh, I've compromised and I've gotten liberal, and and uh, I'm just probably no good at all. But I've gotten to where uh, if it's late at night uh, or something, I, well, I've even gotten to where I'll do it during the daytime. I'll just go out in my cutoffs and old jeans and I've been working around the house or here at the church or something. I'll have on flip-flops and old t-shirt and everything and I slip down here in uh, uh, Walmart. I mean, if you've ever been down there at Walmart, bless God, anybody fits in after midnight down there. Uh, and I didn't think anything about it, but I always go through the self-checkout and I was sitting there and I mean, my hair, was, I mean, I was filthy and all this and I checked out everything. I you ever feel like you know somebody's watching you? Somebody's right there with you. And I, I got through checking out everything. I turned around. It's one of our ladies, and she said, "Oh, I didn't recognize you, Brother Charles." And I thought, "Well, good grief! You know, I've only been here ten years, and and you know, you I you, I just wonder what I mean. And the deal was, she said, "I didn't recognize you without your suit and tie on." Now, someone has said, if you want to be disguised, just wear a, a uniform. Because people will look at the uniform, uh, you know, whatever is object they're looking at. I remember years ago when I was in college at ETBU, I was uh, working in the Burnett Motel there. And I came in on Christmas Eve and, and got robbed about 2 o'clock in the morning. And uh, the officer said, well, now we need to give you some mug shots so that you can pick this guy out. And I said, I have no idea what the guy looked like. Have you got any mug shots of those long barrel guns? I can pick that barrel of that gun out. I can tell you exactly what it looked like, but I have no idea what the guy looked like. But anyway, uh, she said, uh, I didn't recognize you without your suit on and your tie. And I got to thinking about that. I thought, have you ever looked at me? You know, now she's not here tonight, so I can go ahead and do that. And you have no idea who she is. Uh, and, and I thought, I wonder, I'm just thinking in my mind, if she was driving down Loop 281 and one of my coats was hanging up there on a, on a road sign, would she say, oh, there's Brother Charles? Because uh, she recognized the coat but didn't recognize me. And uh, sometimes that's kind of the way we've become as Christians. Uh, people say, wow, I didn't recognize you. You know, God sent us out into this world but sometimes we're unrecognizable. We disguise ourselves, and maybe our actions are not what they want to do, uh, ought to be. And uh, uh, so you get what I'm saying here. There's a lot of things, a lot of ways, a lot of means that God uses people to accomplish his purpose. And tonight I want to I wanna just, just kind of go in a direction that maybe some of you are going to say, no, nah, I don't. I don't know if I agree with that or not. Well, you, you don't have to. You can be wrong and, and, uh, and not agree with it. But that's all right. You think about it and mull over it. I want to think tonight about the ministry of failure. Can God use failure? In fact, I want to go so far as to say tonight, I think we'll back it up with Scripture, that not only can God use failure, but I believe sometimes God orchestrates us to go into failure to teach us something that we would not otherwise learn. I mean, we're just not going to learn it. So God 
orchestrates a way to get his perfect will done in our life and his purpose to be done in, in our life. Now, uh, one of the most, uh, well, when I, was, when I was studying this, have you ever noticed how God adds scriptures to the Bible? Now, he says you can't. But you've read that Bible 10 times, and then all of a sudden you read it again, and there's a scripture there that you would have swore was not there. I mean, it's like God added that thing to it. That, that's, that's where I'm coming from here in verse 2. The Bible says, Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or not. Now, when you talk about the 40 years in the wilderness, maybe you're different, but I want to tell you, I'm 64 years old, and every sermon I've ever heard about the, the 40 years in the wilderness was a failure on the part of the nation Israel. It was a mess. It, they, they did it wrong. That's why it, it was just, just throwing things away. God had given them a promise that if he would just believe them and obey him, they could have been waltzing over there in the promised land 40 years earlier. Now, Canaan, by the way, never represents physical death. And uh, I know we sing those old hymns like that, but that's just not scriptural. Uh, Canaan never re represents heaven or Jordan. It never does. Canaan land had giants. I want to tell you something. There ain't no giants in heaven. Canaan land had fighting and wars. There's no fighting and wars in heaven. Canaan land represents not the sweet by and by, but the sweet here and now. Canaan land represents how we ought to be living our life now. There are going to be battles. There are going to be trials and tribulations. But God is over all of those. God brought them out of Egypt. And we want to major on the fact that, hallelujah, God delivered his people from Egypt. But that's only half of the story. He delivered them from Egypt so that they could be carried to the promised land. He didn't deliver them to Egypt so they could sit out there in the wilderness. He delivered them from Egypt so that they could be carried to the promised land. God didn't save you to keep you just out of hell. God saved you to give you abundant life. You ought to be living that life. I ought to be living that life here on earth right now. Not, not waiting to heaven. Oh, and I know heaven's going to be a lot better than this. I'm not belittling that at all. But that's God. It's going to be 20. There's no comparison. I know that. But I'm telling you, for the child of God, we're not just delivered from hell. We're delivered into abundant life right now. Jesus didn't die on a cross and rise from the dead three days and ascend into heaven so that we could just get by. He wants us to live an abundant life. Now, I've always assumed that the 40 years was 40 years of failure. And, and technically, that's a right assumption. But I also assumed, and it was failure because if they'd obeyed God and they'd have done what God said to do, they would have already been in the promised land. So it is failure. 
But I've also assumed in the fact that it was failure, it meant how many times have you heard preachers, and myself included, talk about wandering around in the wilderness aimlessly, you know, with no purpose or anything. Well, that's not what verse 2 says. That's not what it says. And he goes on to say, Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee uh, these 40 years. In the, the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. They wasn't wandering around aimlessly. God was leading them when they were out there in the 40 years wilderness. Then verse 15, he says he led them through that wilderness and fed them while they were in the wilderness. And then the latter part of verse 16, he said to do thee good at thy latter end. That's why you can sign everything that comes into your life. You can sign God either orchestrated it or God allowed it. One of the two. Now, those 40 years in the wilderness were not wasted years. They were not aimless wanderings. Uh, they they'd failed at Kadesh Barnea there. And they had disobeyed God. They disbelieved God. Yet the Lord didn't abandon him. The Lord didn't abandon them. And he doesn't abandon us when we disobey him either. He still chastens us. He still disciplines us. He's got a purpose for our life. And I, want to, I told the young people last night, the greatest lesson you could learn as a college kid, who it would help you so much if you just understood, buddy, when you come up against God, you're going to lose. He's got the resources to get your attention. You say, well, I'll outsmart him. No, you won't either. You won't outsmart him, you won't outrun him, you won't outgun him. He's got the resources to get your attention and to keep your attention. Now, maybe if you're here tonight and you're saying, Preacher, the truth is I, I'm living in the wilderness. I've come to a point in my life where it looks like I'm just wandering around aimlessly. And uh, maybe for a while in my Christian pilgrimage, uh, things were looking good and things were going good. Uh, but, but then something happened, maybe a series of circumstances. Uh, I lost my direction, uh, and now I'm just, I, I got spiritual vertigo. I'm just disoriented. If you've ever had physical vertigo, you know what it's like. You go to get up, and suddenly the whole room's turning around, and best thing you can do is sit back down as fast as you can. Well, I got some good news. God never wastes his time, and he never wastes experiences. So what you're going through right now, God can take that and make you what you ought to be. That's what his desire is. Now, why does God let us go through the wilderness? Why does God allow us to fail? You know, and, and why, bless God, would there be times when God actually even negotiates for our failure? Why would he do that? Well, let me give you three things. Number one, God uses failure to empty us from pride. Boy, we, th this thing of pride, I mean, if we're not careful, you know, you've got to be careful that you don't start believing all the press clips that they say about you. Because people talk about, oh, what a good, hey, I hear it all the time. Boy, I tell you, I know you're lying. Hey, you know, good grief. You can't believe that stuff. Pride will swell you up. Verse 2, thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. Why? And he tells it why. He don't wonder why. He tells it. 
to humble thee. And he says the same thing in verse 16. Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not that he might humble thee. Verse 3, and he humbled thee. In other words, God led them in the wilderness to humble them, and he did it. He did it. He led them in there to humble them. Now, I want to tell you, humbleness is, is a, is a two-faceted uh, thing that can happen to you. Number one, you're going to be humbled. Just go ahead and just write that down in your book. You're going to be humbled. Now, there's one of two ways you can be humbled. Number one, the Bible says you can humble yourself before the Lord. Or number two, God can humble you in his own way. Now, as one who's experienced both of those, let me just give you this. It's a lot more fun to go ahead and humble yourself before the Lord. It's just a whole lot more fun. I'm telling you, when you back God up in a corner and he has to humble you himself, you, you know, sometimes he might just shake you, say, hmm, but that don't work. So then he gives you a good wrestle. That don't maybe take you to the woodshed. That don't work. I'll tell you what he can do. I'm, I'm testifying now. He can lay you flat on your back. You say, God, I ain't got time. I, I, don't, I just don't have time. He'll lay you flat on your back where all you've got time to do is look up straight at him. <laughs> yeah. He can humble you. Now, he uses failure to empty me of pride. And that's one of man's basic sins. In fact, that's the original sin. That was Satan that said, uh, I'm going to ascend up into heaven. I'm going to build my throne up into heaven. And you know how that went for him. That, this thing does not want to stay on my ear. I guess I'm losing so much weight that, uh, what are y'all laughing at? <laughs> Yeah, the secret to losing weight is buying bigger clothes. Amen? That's good. Uh, Satan was the original one, and you know how that went for him. He got cast down, uh, and uh, uh, God is going to bring us to a place where we recognize that we can't handle life by ourselves. Uh, and so uh, the book of Proverbs uh, says that, that uh, we're not to lean unto our own understanding, but trust in the Lord. And that Hebrew word, I was looking it up, trust has the idea of falling flat on your face. When you fall flat on your face, you're trusting the Lord. But now I want to tell you, man will never, I don't think, will ever trust God until he has to. You're saying, preacher, what do you mean? Well, this is what I mean. As long as I've got another trick up my sleeve, I'm not going to trust God. As long as I've got another door I can walk through, I'm not going to trust God. Because man wants to be sufficient himself. That's why a man wants to ask for directions. He, he's going to be sufficient himself. Amen. That's just part of it. And so we're not going to trust God until we've exhausted every avenue, every trick we've got, every door that we could open ourselves, that we could try to manipulate and do. And when all of that's done, we'll fall flat on our face and trust God. And that's what he's saying here. Uh, as long as I've got a way of escape, or as long as I can figure out a way out, though, I'm not going to trust God. So He's saying here that we have to be confident 
not necessarily and have faith in ourselves. I understand we've got to have faith in ourselves in a certain extent because you need to do that. But we must always be reminded. Uh, well, let, let me tell you, it's like this. You, you ever see a turtle up on a fence post, on top of the fence post? Now, you may not know a lot about that turtle. But I'll tell you, there's one thing you know about him. He didn't get there by himself. And that's what every one of us need to recognize in this room tonight. The blessings we have, I'll tell you one thing. We didn't get where we are by ourselves. It was God. I mean, you living in a nice home, that's wonderful. But let me tell you, you sit here and talk about how you worked hard and all that. God's one gave you the strength to do that start with. You'd be some imbecile in a home somewhere, somebody wiping drool off your mouth. People say, well, I don't, I don't want to do anything. God's going to strike me down. God don't have to strike you down. All he got to do is quit letting the air come to you and you'll fall on your own. I mean, we're what we are today because of the grace of God. You remember in 1 Samuel 12, Samuel uh, was there and he picked up a rock. He said, I'm going to name this stone. I'm going to name this rock. I'm going to call it Ebenezer. And what Ebenezer means in the Hebrew is, I've come this far by grace. Ebenezer. I think we've got a song like that. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will take me home. Mm. Every one of us, we're here for the grace of God. We're here. So, so he, he comes to us and, and we realize that God uses failure to empty us of our pride. Now, he's going to use Moses. This is, this is what's so unique to me. You remember when God said, Moses, I'm going to use you? And old Moses kind of, he said, okay, okay, okay. So he's out there and he kills that uh, Egyptian. So he murders him. And it takes him 40 years for God to be able to use him again. Isn't it ironic that when God said, Moses, I want to use you, and Moses said, God's going to use me, he wasn't usable. But when Moses said, God, you can't use me, I'm not fit to be used, that's when he was fit to be used. <laughs> when somebody comes and says, and I've had some people, I'm looking at some of you right here, you say, I, I don't feel like I'm qualified to teach a Sunday school class. Oh, that just made you qualified. See, when you walk into a class and you think, well, I can teach this class, no problem. That, you're not qualified. But when you remember that you can't do it by yourself, suddenly you are. God's chosen the weak things to confound the strong and the 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 uh, uh, the uh, Foolish things that confound the wise. Uh, lean not unto your own understanding. Uh, Moses' problem, uh, and it's sad that it took God 40 years to get Moses to the place where he no longer trusted in himself, but that's basically what happened there. Uh, and you say, well, I want to learn to trust God. I want to be everything God wants me to be. Well, sometimes that's a painful process. Because God teaches us things that are not really wonderful. Sometimes we're going through circumstances and he's got to empty us of our pride. Now, pride takes on two forms. One of them is self-sufficiency. And we've already talked about this. I can handle this by myself. Uh, you know, I, I tell young preachers, 
Because they asked me, they said, when, when you get up to preach, are you nervous? Yeah, I'm nervous. My legs are shaking. I'm scared to death. And I want to tell you something. I think when you get to the point that you can stand up in front of a crowd and you not have a fear in it, you probably don't need to stand up in front of nobody. You probably don't need it. I'm just telling you that you do not know. You do not know how close every Sunday this whole ministry is to just going up in smoke. Because when I get up here, I'm telling you, I'm scared to death. I'm scared to death. One Sunday morning, I remember we were talking about Ridgewood. I remember I had a young man say his name was Andrew. And I, I don't always do that, but, but every once in a while I'll say, have you got a word for us? And I knew this young man was gloriously saved. I said, have you got a word for us? For us? And he, he took the microphone. He said, preacher, man, I feel great. I feel great. I'm telling you, I got saved. I feel it. And I just feel tremendous. And I'm going to feel this way for the rest of my life. And I said, I mean, the whole congregation's there. And I said, Andrew, <clears throat> you know, this thing's not about feelings. Let me tell you, I get up some mornings, and if I felt like it, I'm going to hell because I don't feel saved. I don't feel, I don't want to do anything for God or nothing. I don't feel like that. And he said, oh, no, I'm going to feel like this forever. And, you know, I didn't want to cause a scene in front of everybody there. And I said, oh, all right, son. All right, we'll just praise the Lord. And we went on. It wasn't three weeks. He come into my office. Looked like he would have been run over by an 18-wheeler. He said, I don't know. And, and my first thought was, well, let's get up Sunday morning and tell the church. Okay, but I didn't. It's the grace of God. I didn't. I said, let me tell you, your salvation is not based on how you feel. Your salvation is based on the Word of God. And I want to tell you, that may not mean a lot to young people who feel good all the time and never get tired. But to me, the older I get and the more tired I get, I thank God it's not based on my feelings. Because I tell you, I can get fatigued and wore out. I never forget what Ed Young told us young preachers many years ago. He said, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do as a man of God is go home and take a nap. And he is not lying. I'm just telling you, you can get wore out physically. You can get fatigued. And you, you, your mind don't operate right. You don't want to run in the spirit. You don't want to do nothing. But you're still saved based on the Word of God. Well, uh, uh, Peter, wonderful example. I get a lot of encouragement from Peter because he and I are a whole lot alike. Somebody said something one time about uh, he, he was so stubborn and everything. and He said Peter was always wondering why he couldn't walk straight while he had one foot in his mouth. Uh, it's hard to walk straight when you've got a foot in your mouth. But Peter always continually kept that foot in his mouth. Uh, but if you follow the career of Peter, you're going to find that most of the time Jesus was trying to teach Peter this very principle that, Peter, you have not arrived. You may think you can do it on your own, even there at the Lord's Supper. Remember what Peter said? Oh, Lord, these other guys, they may forsake you and they may turn up, but not me. Mm -mm, you're talking about Peter here. I'm going to be with you. And Jesus said, you have no idea what you're talking about. He said, the devil's going to sift you. You have no idea. Now, I wonder, 
I, I was just thinking, because Jesus was all God, but Jesus was all man, I wonder how discouraged the Lord was when Peter just let him down. I mean, you, you, you know, you can count on me. You can count on me. Well, when he said uh, that uh, 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 Satan has desired to have you, he's meaning there in the Greek that Satan had to ask permission for Jesus to allow him to have Peter. Now, Jesus is saying that Satan's asked permission to get a hold of you and turn you inside out, and I've given it. And that's encouraging to me in one aspect there because uh, it tells me that the Lord can't touch me unless he has permission from, I mean, the devil can't touch me unless he has permission from the Lord. He's got to run that through Jesus. And he said, Peter, there's only one way you're going to learn. And Peter, and that is you're going to have to fall flat on yourself. You're going to have to, to, uh, uh, to do, I'll never forget the day that I was talking to Andrew there and somebody said, why didn't you, why didn't you just correct him more firmly? And I said, you know, there's some people that you just need to let them learn on their own. They're not going to ever believe you, so just let them learn on their own. How many times have you told your children that? Go ahead, big boy. Learn this thing on your own, you know. And that's what Jesus is saying to, to Peter here. Uh, we, we could talk about Job in this place. We, there's a lot of things, but let, let me move on here quickly. That God uses failure not only to take, a, take the pride out of us, but God uses failure to expose us to the wickedness that's in our heart. Verse 2, The Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart, whether you'd keep the commandments or not. Then verse 16, That he might prove thee. Uh, if you read Exodus 15 and 16, you're going to find on different occasions God arranged circumstances in order to prove his people. Now, God already knew what they were going to do. God already knew what was in their heart, but they didn't know what they were going to do. So these things were meant to prove them, to expose to them the wickedness that was in their heart. Uh, uh, if you go back, you remember Moses was making preparation to go up on Mount Sinai to get the law, and Israel made a boast. Here was their boast. He said, all that the Lord God says unto us, we'll do. Everything God tells us to do, we'll do. They thought in their hearts that was total obedience. They didn't know that the idolatry and the terrible sin. I mean, after they said that, whatever God says do, we're going to do. And it's not but a few days that they're building a golden calf out there. Now, I know they didn't build it. The thing just jumped out of the fire on its own is what they said. But, I mean, we know that didn't happen either. See, that they didn't know the wickedness was in their heart. Could I just tell you tonight, I don't care how good a Christian you are, there's a, the old Adamic nature that's inside each one of us. And every one of us are, are capable of doing any number of things. Jesus said, out of the heart are the issues of life. The issues of life. Uh, if there's sin and, and there's wickedness in my heart, I, I want to know about it. And the only way I'm going to know about it is if, if the Lord tells me about that. If I've got a tumor inside of me, I don't want somebody to keep that a secret. I want to know about it. 
what I want to know about it so I can have something done about it. And that's why we ought to know about the wickedness in our heart so we can do something about it so the wickedness is not in our heart. Uh, you'd never be able to convince Simon Peter, Peter, there's some things in your heart now that's not right. Peter say, uh-uh, I'm all for Jesus. And yet he's denying him three times. Uh, every one of us have the possibility of, of evil within each one of us. And then the last thing that's here, I'm through. God uses failure to educate us on the true values of life. The true values of life. Uh, one of our biggest problems is that we have a wrong system of values. We place values on the wrong thing, on the wrong thing. And God tr patiently is trying to educate us and teach us. Look at verse 3. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knowest not, neither did thy fathers know. Why? That's a, that's a purpose clause there. That he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. Wow. He's got a purpose for doing this. And the purpose is to educate us to the true value of what life is really all about. Now, I want to tell you, that's one of the greatest statements in all the Bible. Man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by the Word of God. That's why it's so relevant for us today. You want to know why we're in the problems we're in today? Because we've thrown out the Word of God. You go back and you live by the Word of God. See, when you are obedient to God, you get the blessings of God. If God wanted to keep you alive 40 years without ever giving you a drop of food, he could do it. He didn't have to do it. He could do it. That, that's eternity. Now, the importance of seeing this is this. If you look upon bread as a source of your life and the meaning of your life, and let me just, just tell you, hallelujah. I mean, I'm, I'm, my, my stomach's already growling right now. I can't eat before I preach, and I'm thinking about what we're going to have for supper. Hmm? See, we're, we're thinking about the physical things of life. But what if, you know, I'll, I'll just be honest with you. The, the one prayer that I pray for myself and for each one of us in this church is this. I pray it over and over again. Lord, make us hungry. Lord, make us hungry. Boy, when we get a hunger for the Word of God, then God can speak to us. But there's a lot of people, they're not hungry for the Word of God. They're hungry for entertainment. They're hungry for the things of this world. They're hungry for the physical things of this world. But I want to tell you, we need to be hungry for the Word of God and for the things of God. And sometimes the only way that God can create the hunger for that is if we uh, go through failure. The ministry of failure. We've got so many choices. I was reading uh, this uh, illustration. Uh, and you've got the choice tonight. You can say, I'm going to hunger after righteousness. I'm going to hunger after the things of God. Or you can say, no. I, I mean, we're going to get by. We're going we're gonna to let God be a part of our life. And we're going to be part of the, of the Lord's house and all that. But we're just not going to be fanatics. Now, that's your choice. It's your choice. I read about this young lady, and she was beginning to realize that the prime of life was about to pass her by, and she had never been married. 
I used to have a children's director in uh, the church in Port Arthur. And uh, she, I'm telling you, Debbie Hester was her name. She ended up, we went over there one day, she died of a heart attack at 28 years old. I, I went in. They almost locked me and the associate pastor up. We, kicked, we saw her in there. We kicked the door in and went in, and she'd been dead all night. And she was laying there. And even in staff meeting, when we have staff meeting, she would lay uh, out on the floor, and she would do her hands like this. And, and that's how she prayed, laying flat out on the floor. And she was in there. The bed cover was turned back. And she was laying flat down on that floor, had her nightgown on, and had her hands under there just like that. Went, went, just went to sleep praying. You know, God took her home. But anyway, she, she bought a men's pair of britches the size that she wanted her husband to be and would put them on the edge of the bed. Those britches were there that morning. And she'd say, Lord, fill them britches. Lord, fill them britches. You say, well, that's crazy. Well, God can do that. I mean, you know, you've got to have faith to do them. Anyway, this lady was uh, slipping away in the prime of life, and they had a store downtown called Husbands Are Us. And uh, it had six floors. And uh, you, you, everybody in town kind of knew that they kind of ascended up. You know, you got better as you climbed uh, uh, the stairs and went through the elevator on up to the higher floors. And so she decided she'd go down there and get her husband because time was slipping by. So she went down on that first floor and the first floor, that sign said, good looking husbands. And she thought, well, you know, that that's great. That's great. That's really what I really want in life. I want a good looking husband. I don't want a dog. I want a good looking husband. But then she thought, I wonder what they look like on the second floor. So she went on the elevator and got out and there opened the door. And the sign said, all husbands are good looking, do the laundry, do the dishes, change dirty diapers. Wow, what a husband. But she thought, I wonder what they're like on the third floor. Hmm. So she got on the elevator and went up on that third floor, opened that door. It says, all husbands are good looking, do the laundry, do the dishes, change dirty diapers. And they tell highly detailed stories. She said, man, that'd be good conversation. I, oh, that, that's tempting. But she said, I wonder what they're like on the fourth floor. So she went into the elevator. She got up to the fourth floor. The door opened, and the sign said, all husbands are good looking, do the laundry, do the dishes, change dirty diapers, tell highly detailed stories, and have good high-paying jobs. Wow. It don't get much better than that. But she thought, I wonder what they're like on the fifth floor. So she got on the elevator, opened the elevator door. All husbands are good looking, do the laundry, do the dishes, change dirty diapers, tell long drawn out, highly detailed stories, have good high paying jobs, and their parents live in California and never come to visit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it don't get any better than that. But she kept thinking, I wonder what they're like on the sixth floor. So she gets on the elevator and the door opens and it says, there are no husbands on the sixth floor. This floor exists to show that some women will never be satisfied. Hmm. Boy, we've got to make sure that we're in God's will and not our will. Let me, let me close with this. This is a true story. Uh, a lady by the name of Madeline, a real godly lady, she was listening to some girls uh, 
walking down the street. And uh, she sent some roses to this one girl that was in their church. And, uh, but when she opened those roses, they were dead. I mean, the petals were falling off of them. I mean, they were just almost dead. And it said, love Madeline on there. She knew Madeline, and she thought, well, you know, this is crazy. So her, her brother came in and said, Madeline sent me these roses. And the brother said, oh, that probably means that she gave them to somebody last week to give to you, and the rascal forgot them. And now he showed up with them, and they're dead. And she just said, well, I don't know what I'm going to Well, Madeline called and said, hey, you want to go get uh, ice cream this afternoon? She said, yes. She couldn't wait to get to Madeline to ask why these roses were dead. And so she thought she'd try to figure out if Madeline had sent them a week ago or, or if there was something, you know, she didn't know what to do. So she asked about them and uh, said, oh, the roses you sent, uh, uh, I got them today. Thinking Madeline would say, well, I sent them last week. You just got them today? And, and Madeline didn't say that. Madeline said, well, that's great. That's great. And then the girl said, well, look, those roses were dead. They were, they were falling apart. And she said, I know. I wanted you to learn a lesson. And she said, learn a lesson? She said, yeah, I overheard some of you girls kind of laughing at another little girl that had given her heart to Jesus and was going to be baptized. And she said, the very words out of your mouth, I heard you say them, is that when I get through running around and having a good time and everything, and I get older, then I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And she said, I wanted to show you. She said, I took those roses last week, and I've enjoyed them. They were beautiful. And now I sent them to you today. And that's what you're trying to do to Jesus. You want to take the prime of your life and enjoy your life and do what you want to do and you don't want nobody telling you what to do or anything else. And when you get old and you're in the last part of your life, then you think you're going to waltz in and give your heart and life to Jesus. Let me tell you, give your heart to Jesus while you're young, while there's still work there that you can do. Amen? Father, thank you tonight. It's hard to thank you for the times that we go through failure. But Lord, knowing that you want to teach us something, it does help us. Because we know you've got our own interests. The best, you want the very best for us. So I ask you, Lord Jesus, help us not to be stubborn. Help us not to be prideful. Father, help us to humble ourselves before you and to examine our own hearts. And then, Lord, may we be willing to say, yes, Lord. What, even before we know what you want us to do, it doesn't make any difference. Lord, you're king of kings and Lord of lords. Whatever you want, that's what we want. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget in the morning, I, I know the prayer lists are out there, and you can see those. But Miss Flo Lofton uh, goes in. At, at the surgery's at 8 o'clock. They moved it up, and it is going to be an aneurysm that they're repairing on her heart. So that's a serious surgery, uh, Flo Lofton. So remember her. And then many of you know uh, Brother Jason, Sheila Roberts.
and uh, Sheila is not doing well at all. Uh, she's got some obstructions and, uh, and they needed to do several things and the doctor told him today that he would not do it here, period. He said, if I did that surgery here, you would be in hospice and that would be it. So I'm not doing it. So they're trying to get her transferred to Dallas and she's very serious too. So remember those two. And then continue, remember the people down in Southeast Texas and all of the flood waters and all of that. And then, uh, and then don't forget, bring your supplies. We're taking a trailer down next Tuesday, uh, the day after Labor Day. So uh, bring those supplies and get those here. And, and anyone can bring supplies. If you're at work and y'all want to bring supplies from a job, we'll, do, we'll take anything. We'll take anything. Just please no clothes because uh, they got more clothes than we can, they can sort out already even because that's the first thing people always bring. Uh, now, you can bring new clothes like underwear. That's a big thing, but you can't bring old underwear. That's against the law, all right? But if you got the fruit of the balloon and they're in the package, you can do that, all right? Thank you all. Looking forward to this weekend. If you're here, be sure you're in the Lord's house. I know it's Labor Day. A lot of people are traveling, but if you're here, be here. We're going to be baptizing and having a glorious time. Amen.